WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. This is Father Campbell back for another segment of the Marian Hour. And on this Wednesday, it's not really a feast day of any note, we'll, um, we'll begin our show today as we usually do with the beautiful prayer of the Memorare. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Mary, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, for, for those of you who were with us two weeks ago, um, it was just before the feast, the great feast, the solemnity of Our Lady's Assumption, Body and Soul into Heaven, and that was my theme of the show two weeks back. And um, if you'll remember, I, I left off, well, explaining the, the dogma of Mary's Assumption, Body and Soul into Heaven by Pope Pius XII back in 1950. And I mentioned that when I co come back, as I, I'm here today, two weeks later, it will be after another feast that you could say is very much complements Mary's Assumption into Heaven, and that is her queenship, her universal queenship. And that feast was celebrated in the church just this past Saturday, August 22nd, the Feast of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'm going to talk about Mary's queenship today. Okay. I'll say that um, both scripture and tradition, to summarize what I spoke of in regard to Mary's assumption, okay, scripture and tradition both reveal um, Implicitly, however, not explicitly, Mary's assumption into heaven. This was a truth that was um, implanted in the hearts of the faithful in the early centuries. We see early liturgies which celebrate the assumption of Our Lady body and soul into heaven. They go back to the fifth century. The earliest liturgies in honor of Mary really deal with her assumption. It was something that was held and believed by, by all the faithful. And um, it's something, as I said, not explicitly revealed in Scripture, um, but implicitly. For example, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, the woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. The great saints of antiquity looked to verses such as that as, as a basis for Mary's assumption into heaven. And 
that was proclaimed as a dogma in 1950, but it was something that was already believed and held throughout the history of the church. And just think about this, the fourth glorious mystery of the rosary, what is it? The, the, queen, the Assumption. The Assumption of Mary, yes. So <coughs> people were praying the glorious mysteries and the fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption, you know, for hundreds of years, even before the dogma was proclaimed definitively. That is because people believed it. When Pius XII proclaimed the dogma of Mary's Assumption in 1950, he was merely putting, you could say, the official stamp of approval, the Church's highest authority, on this truth that was, I say, implicitly revealed in Scripture and then uh, became explicit in, in the tradition the teaching handed down from the apostles to their successors and the faithful in general who believed this truth. Now Mary is assumed into heaven. What does she do there? She's not idle. Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, she in heaven exercises her motherly mediation and her queenship. Significantly, four years after Pope Pius XII defined the Assumption of Mary, body and soul, into heaven for all the faithful to believe, he issued an encyclical called Aceli Regina, to the Queen of Heaven. And in that encyclical, he proclaimed the feast of the Queenship of Mary and really helped to explain Mary's Queenship for all the faithful. And, um, you know, the Second Vatican Council followed upon the uh, Feast of the Assumption back in 1950 and then the proclamation of the Feast of Mary's Queenship in 1954. Just, you know, eight years later, the Second Vatican Council begins, or nine years later, and, and the teaching of the Second Vatican Council makes clear that Mary is active up in heaven. Uh, in fact, here's what Vatican II teaches. In, in, in the, the dogmatic constitution on the church, it's one of the two dogmatic teachings of the Second Vatican Council. Um, chapter 8 of, of Lumen Gentium, of the dogmatic constitution on the church, deals with the Blessed Virgin Mary in relationship to Christ and the church. And here's what number 62 of Lumen Gentium says. And it's actually, this is quoted in the, um, in the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, first, in, in number 968 of the Catechism, it speaks of Mary's role in relation to the Church and all humanity and I quote here, and, and the Catechism is quoting uh, Lumen Gentium, um, the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, Numbers 53 and 63. It says, in a wholly singular way, Mary cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. What are they saying there? In other words, Mary cooperated in the redemption. That's why 
we call Mary the co-redemptrix. Okay? And the catechism quoting Lumen Gentium goes on to say, for this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. The very next paragraph of the catechism quotes Lumen Gentium number 61. Quote, this motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterruptedly from the consent which she gave at the Annunciation, which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross, until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. In other words, until the end of time, until Christ comes again. Continuing, it says, taken up into heaven, Mary did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession, she continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. In other words, she is our mother in the order of grace. All of the grace of Christ comes to us through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Jesus came to us through Mary. All his grace comes to us through Mary. This is God's plan. And in fact, the Catechism goes on to say, quoting the Second Vatican Council, that thereby she's invoked under the titles Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, Mediatrix. Okay? So, and actually, uh, there's a movement now to have a fifth dogma proclaimed of Mary's universal mediation in grace and the fact that this is a result of her her cooperation in Christ's redemption, the fact that she's co-redemptrix. Now, um, I'm going to go on to, to talk about Mary's queenship in heaven today, okay? But um, first, I'm well to 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 lead this off. You could say I'm I'm going to quote words of Pope Pius the Twelfth that he had read at Fatima, Portugal, for the faithful who were gathered there on the anniversary date of Mary's first appearance. It was May thirteenth, nineteen forty-six. Take note, this is before the Assumption was defined and, and before Mary's queenship, the feast, was, was proclaimed. May 13, 1946, this is what Pope Pius XII said. He, the Son of God, reflects on his heavenly mother the glory, the majesty, the dominion of his kingship. What's he saying there? That Mary is sharing in the kingship of her son by the will of Jesus, the king. He goes on to say, for having been associated with the king of martyrs in the ineffable work of human redemption as mother and cooperatrix, he used the term cooperatrix, he could have used the term co-redemptrix, same meaning, okay? Mary remains forever associated with him, Jesus, her son, with an almost unlimited power in the dispensation of graces which flow from the redemption. Pope Pius XII goes on to say in this address to the pilgrims gathered at, gathered at Fatima, this was May 13, 1946, Jesus is king throughout all eternity by nature and by right of conquest. Why? Because he's God and he redeemed us on the cross. Through him, and subordinate to him, Mary is queen by grace 
by divine relationship, she's the mother of God, okay? By right of conquest, because she stood at the foot of the cross with him, co-redeeming, okay? And by singular election, Mary was chosen out of everyone to be immaculate, to be the mother of God, okay? The Pope continues, and her kingdom is as vast as that of her son and God, since nothing is excluded from her dominion. Wow. What do you think about those, them words there, Angela? What do you think? Wow. She is the power of Mary. Absolutely, yes. Jesus, is. he, gave, he, gives, he gives his mother full reign, a share in his universal kingship. Okay. Now, <coughs> that's pretty impressive, those words. I think they're, they're th the, the most powerful words I've ever read by a pope about Mary's power in heaven, her queenship. Okay. And um, by reason of her queenship, her motherhood in the order of grace, okay, all these things, we honor her. Now, I'm going to segue here into something else right now before I get to Mary's queenship, back to it. If I don't finish this week with Mary's queenship, I'll do it in two weeks. But to understand the notion of Mary's universal queenship, we must first grasp something else. Whose kingdom does she share in? Christ's. So in order to understand Mary's queenship, we have to understand Christ's universal kingship. And that's what I'm going to talk about, at least for uh, a good part of today's show. And I'm going to do so because, providentially, I didn't plan it this way, but the mayhem that's taking place in so many of our cities, I'm from Kenosha, many buildings are b have been burned down over the past few days. Um, what I'm going to say here really applies to our situation, the culture war in which we are engaged today, okay? Now, having said that, I'll get into Christ's kingship, okay? Um, what do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father? We have a petition in that prayer which in which we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? Well, it means when we say, Thy kingdom come, whose kingdom? Christ's kingdom. And Christ is the king. He founded the church, the Catholic Church, and listen to this, this is extremely important, okay? The basis for about all you're going to hear for the next few minutes. The Catholic Church is the seed and the beginning of Christ's kingdom, which will come to perfection, reach its fullness, only at the end of time, at Christ's second coming. To put it simply, the, the Catholic Church is the kingdom of Christ, not fully realized. It will be fully perfected when Christ comes again at the end of the world. He will turn over everything to the Father, okay? 
Now, how do we know that Christ, who is God, is king? We can go back to the Old Testament. Okay. Here's Psalm 22, verse 29. For kingship belongs to the Lord, the ruler over the nations. You see, when the Israelites, when they entered into the Promised Land, they had judges ruling over them for a couple of hundred years. And then they begged for a king. It was really wrong of them to do so, to ask for a king like the pagan nations had. Why? Because God was their king. But because they were like little children crying for a king, the Lord gave them a king. First it was Saul, and then became David, and then there was a whole line of kings. Okay. A thousand years before Christ's birth, when King David was ruling the nation of Israel, he had a prophet, Nathan, and he revealed to King David that one of his descendants would be king and rule on his throne forever. Here are his words from the second book of Samuel, or if you have an older Bible, it's the second book of Kings. Okay. Here's, here's Nathan's words to David. The Lord reveals to you, I will raise up your heir after you. I will make his kingdom firm. I will make his throne firm forever. His royal throne firm forever. A prophecy of, guess whose kingship? The kingship of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was a descendant in his human line of King David. That's why he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now we have to take a break for just a couple of minutes. We will be back. We will, and stay tuned, because Father Campbell is going to be joined by a fellow pastor of Kenosha right after this show to pray a rosary of peace for the city of Kenosha. So stay tuned. Father John A. Jimnicki, the spiritual advisor for WSFI Radio. I've uh, been involved with this from, from day one. It's a great opportunity to preach the good news uh, to 500,000 people in an area that, that just hasn't gotten uh, the message over the airwaves. Uh, we're really looking forward to, to share the faith uh, for each one of us to come closer and closer to God because of what Catholic Radio will bring to our area. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Amen. 
And we have a guest father. You have a, a mystery guest here joining you. Well, not really a mystery to, to those who know him as I do, Father Michael Kalea. Uh, father Kalea is the pastor of Holy Rosary Church in, in Kenosha. And um, um, we're going to be praying a rosary, leading a rosary together for, for peace, for Kenosha, really for, for our nation, but especially the city of Kenosha, which is undergoing great turmoil at this time. Father Kalea, how are you? We have to, this is a mic check for Father. And they have to, uh, there you go. If you speak into the mic now. It's good to be with you. Okay, sure. Okay, I'm, I'm going to break off with Father Michael now and continue with, um, with um, the topic for today, which is Mary's queenship, her universal queenship. And as I said shortly before we took our break, uh, in order to understand Mary's universal queenship, we have to understand that it shares in Christ's universal kingship and what that is. The Old Testament reveals that, that God is king, and I left off quoting the words of the prophet Nathan to King David a thousand years before Christ, that one of his descendants would rule on his throne forever. I will make his kingdom firm. I will make his royal throne firm forever. Well, those words were fulfilled literally when the archangel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be the mother of God. He, he almost quoted those words of the prophet Nathan to King David uttered a thousand years before, saying, Behold, you will conceive and bear a son, Jesus, the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. So, the New Testament reveals that Jesus Christ, the God-man, the eternal word, is king. Remember, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And, well, of course, Jesus was not only king of the Jews, he was the king of kings, the lord of lords. And that fact is reflected in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, it speaks of how Jesus is the king and ruler not only of the Jews, but all nations. I quote chapter 19 of, of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. The Lord has established the reign of Christ. I saw the heavens opened, a white horse, its rider, who is Jesus called faithful and true. His name was called the Word of God. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword to strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He has a name written on his cloak and on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is Jesus. Now Jesus is king in a twofold sense. Okay. First of all, a natural right. What do we mean that? He is the Son of God. God is king over everything. He's the creator and ruler of all. Secondly, in addition to a natural right as the Son of God, Jesus is king by an acquired right as Redeemer. He died for the sins of all people. That's why he is king over all nations, even those who do not even know him. He reigns over them. Objective reality, okay? In Pope Leo the Thirteenth's 1899 encyclical, on the consecration of the world 
to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. He links Christ's reign as universal king to his Sacred Heart. Why is this? Well, because his reign is really a reign of love. His heart is the perfect symbol of that love, divine and human. And here's what Leo XIII teaches in his encyclical 1899 on consecration of the world to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The greatness of his power, the boundlessness of his kingdom is clearly declared to the apostles when he says, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, That's his natural right as God. And Christ reigns not only as a natural right, as the Son of God, but a right he has acquired, says the Pope. For he snatched us from the power of darkness, gave himself for the redemption of all. Therefore, not only Catholics and those who have duly received Christian baptism, but all men have become a purchased people. Okay. I'll skip forward a little bit to Pope Pius the 11th. He was Pope in the 1920s and 30s. He wrote his first two encyclicals of Pius the 11th were on the topic of the universal kingship of Christ and the social reign of Christ as king. His first encyclical was called On the Peace of Christ in the Kingdom of Christ, 1922. And this is what he said. And these words are very, very apropos for today and what is happening in our nation, in our society, around the world, in fact. Okay? People having departed from the law of God and, and the sad results that follow. Pius XII said, Many are intent on exploiting their neighbors solely for the purpose of enjoying more fully the goods of the world, forgetful of eternal and spiritual things. We just chased after you know, the goods of this earth. Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, no, we have a goal. That's heaven. And people forget about this. And Pius XII talked about the cause for the present-day conditions. This was almost 100 years ago. He says this, They have forsaken our Lord. Jesus Christ said, Without me, you can do nothing. Well, those words need to be heard today in our world, especially. He goes on to say, Pius XI, about a general desire by people that both our laws and governments should exist without recognizing God or Jesus Christ, on the theory that all authority comes from men, not from God. Now, this is a common way of thinking among many people. And the Pope said that even a pagan philosopher like Cicero saw <laughs> that um, that uh, we we d we obtain our laws and and our our morality from from God. Okay. Um, at present, in the United States, especially the Supreme Court. Uh, the idea of, of rights is not founded on, on rights coming from God, even as our Constitution recognizes, but rather just created by the will of the people or the will of a majority of the Supreme Court. Think about the so-called right to murder unborn children in their mother's wombs. Okay? This, this is no 
natural right that comes from God. This is an affront to, to God and his rights. Think about how the Supreme Court has redefined marriage to mean two people of the same sex. Well, these are man-made dictates which actually uh, oppose God and his laws. God instituted marriage at the ver very beginning of the human race, male and female, he created them. That complementariness of male and female that is the basis for marriage because it is the basis for generating new human life, okay? And uh, what are the consequences of rejecting God and rejecting Jesus Christ as king? Well, I spoke about our Constitution, actually our our Constitution is really silent on, on Jesus Christ. So is the Declaration of Independence. It mentions rights coming from God, but that's about it. It fails, however, to recognize Christ as King and the Catholic Church as the true Church that Christ founded. The founders of our country, their idea of liberty um, required that religion had to be under the authority of government. And that's why it's prohibited for the government to recognize any religion as true. See, in a Catholic state, a truly Catholic state, we would recognize the Catholic Church as the true church that Christ founded and um, that this is the true religion. And I'll just quote the columnist George Will. Here are his words. A central purpose of America's political arrangements is is the subordination of religion to the political order, meaning the primacy of democracy. This was the intent of the founders. Well, no, they've got everything turned upside down. Um, in in truth, Christ founded his church not to govern in this in the secular area, however, but as a light to the nations to be a guide for laws and policies by those in power through the divine law that God has given us, the Ten Commandments, the teachings of the Church. I'm going to quote here from um, an interesting um, uh, uh, historical fact that I discovered reading uh, a book by uh, the attorney Christopher Ferreira. It was called Liberty the God That Failed. He penned it about maybe seven, eight years ago. An excellent book. And he, he did some historical research. Uh, you know, after the Civil War, there was a Protestant organization made up of different Protestant denominations. This was 1874, after the Civil War, and this group called the, um, uh, the National Religious Association, I think it was called, uh, th pardon me, yeah, um, they passed a resolution uh, to change the preamble of the Constitution to be amended to declare Christ's kingship over this nation. Interestingly, okay, because they saw the Civil War and the, and the, 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 the ravages of, of that war, what it did to our nation, being a result of the failure of our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution to recognize Christ as king. And they wanted to change the preamble of the, of the Constitution to read in this way. <coughs> we, the people of the United States, 
Now, as it reads now, in order to perform, to form a more perfect union, okay, but this is what they proposed instead. We, the people of the United States, humbly acknowledging Almighty God as the source of all authority and power in civil government, the Lord Jesus Christ is the ruler among nations. His received will as the supreme law of the land in order to constitute a Christian government and to form a more perfect union, okay? Well, that proposal was voted down by the members of Congress, unfortunately. Um, now, the, this group of Protestant denominations recognized the problem in the U.S. Constitution of failing to recognize Jesus Christ as king in adhering to the teachings of Christ. But Protestantism would have been unable to solve the problems that really have come about since then. Why? <laughs> because the Protestants acknowledge no authority other than scripture and individual interpretation. That is why we have 10,000 Protestant sects around the world. And the moral relativism, relativism that ensues with this. Well, in truth, okay, Christ only founded one church. Those of you who went to Mass this past Sunday should recall Jesus' words to Peter. On this rock, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Singular. Jesus did not found numerous churches. No, he founded one church on Peter and the Apostles. It is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Those are the four marks of the true church, by the way, that we profess in the creed every week. The church is one. Jesus founded one church. And think about this. At the Last Supper, what did Jesus pray for? For unity. Father, that they may all be one, as I am in you and you are in me. Jesus did not want divisions. And that's why he, s he instituted his church, founded it as a hierarchy, Peter and the Apostles. And today it still exists as that hierarchy, the Pope and the bishops. And um, so uh, the truth is that Christ founded only one church, the one holy Catholic apostolic church, to which he gave full authority, not in the secular realm, not to, to govern making laws and policies in the secular area, but to be a light and a guide to civil authority. Now, the Supreme Court of the United States, a majority of them at least, are no longer guided by the natural law. The same with European nations. And uh, I'll just go to, again, to Pope Pius XI, his encyclical in 1922 on the peace of Christ and the kingdom of Christ. He says this. This is number 29 in that encyclical. And this is written 100 years ago, but so applicable for today because we're facing the same problems. Because we haven't fixed things up because we don't recognize Christ as king and his church as the kingdom of Christ, as the light and guide for laws and policies. Okay, Pius XII says, legislation has been passed which does not recognize either God or Jesus Christ as having any rights over marriage. Gee. What was he referring to, Father? Well, because back in a hundred years ago, Protestant denominations and, and even, well, 
uh, started with Protestant denominations and then laws which reflected the Protestant way of thinking, they allowed for divorce and remarriage. There okay. was no such thing as divorce and remarriage. God joins people, making them one flesh. The two are one flesh. What God has joined, no human authority can separate. Divorce and remarriage is a departure from the law, the teaching of Christ. Okay, now Jesus says, if the marriage was unlawful, it's not a true marriage. That's the basis for an annulment. But the idea that you can walk into a courtroom and some judge, some guy in a black robe, can sign a decree. Um, rendering a marriage no longer existing according to the authority of the state, well, I'm sorry, that, that means nothing. That means nothing in God's eyes. And this is what Pius XII was referring to. He says this debased matrimony to a mere civil contract that can be broken at will. We have what? No-fault divorce now, okay? Well, this, this was starting 100 years ago. He goes on to say in the same paragraph, Pius XI, the idea of the family, the germ of all social life, has become confused in the minds of many. Gee, if that was a problem then, well, what's it now? We have the members of our Supreme Court who, who can't even get marriage right, okay? That it's, it can be between two people and what of was the same sex. Father, what was he seeing 100 years ago? Well, that um, the idea of the family, because if, if you're allowing divorce and remarriage, you're, you're affecting the family. Okay? I see. And the idea of people living together, well, this started 100 years ago, too. You know, y you had people in Hollywood. This was serial monogamy. These things were all, you know, raising their ugly heads, so to speak. He says the consequence of the in consequence of this, th the laws of the state, the stability, the unity of the family is undermined. Added to this... God and Jesus Christ, as well as his doctrines, were banished from the schools. Now, we saw that happen in our own country. Madeleine Murray O'Hare in 1960, you know, prayer in school is, is unconstitutional. <laughs> oh, how we need prayer and God and Jesus Christ in our schools. Okay, we have to go through, the students have to go through, uh, you know, um, um, uh, metal detectors now entering schools. We have to have them policemen up and going up and down the, the halls, okay? He said, the school is forcibly deprived of the right to teach anything about God or his law, and as a result, this fails to really educate. That is to lead children to the practice of virtue, if you're banishing God from the schools. Gone to the possibility of laying a solid groundwork for peace, order, prosperity, either in the family or society. Okay? I see we're just about to break. I'll take a break here. I'll return to the problems that Pius XI saw a hundred years ago for the failure of people to recognize Christ's kingship. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to 88.5 FM. That's the voice of Father Dwight Campbell, who is joined by Father Michael Kalia of Holy Rosary Church in Kenosha. And they'll be offering a special rosary for the protection of Kenosha right after the show.
of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services are not available in all states. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Okay, we're returning now to the, the Marian Hour. I'm Father Dwight Campbell. I'm joined here today uh, by Father Michael Kalea. He's the pastor at uh, Holy Rosary Church in, in Kenosha, right down the street from Mount Carmel in Kenosha. Uh, we're going to be praying a rosary for peace at 3 p.m. if you want to stay and join us. Today I'm talking about the queenship of Mary, but in order to understand Mary's queenship, as I said earlier, in the first two segments, we have to understand the kingship of Christ. And Pope Pius XI, his first two encyclicals, almost a hundred years ago, dealt with Christ's kingship. And, you know, he, he spoke of how if Christ's kingship is not recognized, and especially the church is not recognized as the light and the guide for formulating laws and policies, no bad laws and policies result. And especially with, with marriage, allowing first divorce and remarriage. Today we have same-sex marriage. Uh, that is, that is uh, I would say, attempted by people and, and condoned by the Supreme Court. Um, Pius XII talked about how you know, undermining marriage and society by departing from the laws of God and the teachings of Christ in the church would uh, result in disorder, and you can't achieve peace, order, prosperity, either in the family or in society. And he talked about how there would be a triumphant materialism which would prepare mankind for the propaganda of anarchy and social hatred. Oh my gosh, well that, that's what's going on right now. Uh, Kenosha's burning down as a result of anarchy and social hatred, and this is because people have departed from Christ and his teaching. Um, Pius XII goes on to say in his encyclical on the, the kingship of Christ, this is number 48 in the encyclical, and you can just Google this and get it. Okay, it's, uh, They're all available online at the Vatican website. He said, it is possible to sum up all we have said in one word, the kingdom of Christ. For Jesus Christ reigns over the minds of individuals, his teachings in their hearts by his love. He reigns over the family. Matrimony instituted by Christ remains... Uh, a sanctuary of, hi of, of his. Finally, Jesus Christ reigns over society when men recognize and reverence the sovereignty of Christ, when they accept the divine origin and control of all social forces. 
Christ reigns, said Pius XII, when the position in society which he himself has assigned to his church is recognized. For he bestowed on the church the status and the constitution of a society which must be held to be supreme in its own sphere, not subordinate to laws of the state, which it is now, for example, in this country. Pius XII said, Christ also made the church the depository and interpreter of his divine teachings. See, this is why we're different from the Protestants. We have a sacred tradition which complements sacred scripture, which interprets the word of God according to the teachings of Christ. How? Because we've had the Holy Spirit who came on Pentecost, who has been leading and guiding the church in the truth for the past 2,000 years. And Pope Pius XII talks about how the church is the teacher and guide of every other society whatsoever. The church itself is the society which teaches and guides every other society. And it helps others to perfect their authority. You see, if government in the United States and our own 50 states, for example, would adhere to the teachings of the church, formulate laws and policies in accord with the teachings of Christ in the church, well then we would be on our way to attaining true happiness. This is what Pius XI says in his encyclical. And um, he goes on to say that it's therefore a fact which cannot be questioned. The true peace of Christ can only exist in the kingdom of Christ. And in doing all we can to bring about the reestablishment of Christ's kingdom, we will be working most effectively toward a lasting world peace. That's why we have to have an evangelization, go out and evangelize the world, bring everyone into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that Christ founded. Now, Pius XI, just a couple of years, three years later, in 1925, 95 years ago, okay, wrote another encyclical where he proclaimed the feast of Christ the King. And in that encyclical, he talked again about Christ's kingship, and he said this. He said, if princes and magistrates, those in government, duly elected, are filled with the persuasion that they rule not by their own right, but by the mandate and in the place of the divine king, they will exercise their authority piously and wisely and make laws and administer them having in view the common good, also the human dignity of their subjects. They won't be allowing unborn babies to be killed, okay, in the womb, or old people to be euthanized, okay. He says the result will be a stable peace and tranquility. So, you know, Jesus, um, you know, basically, when, when he, he, he spoke to Pilate, Pilate said to him, don't you know I have authority to put you to death? What did Jesus say? You would have no authority over me unless it were given to you from above. Every ruler, every governor rules by the authority of God and of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's just that most of our, our people in government, our lawmakers, our judges, 
don't get this. They don't realize this. That's why we have to form good Catholics to get in government, okay? And he instituted Pius the Pius the Eleventh, the Feast of Christ, the King, in order to to help in this area to have people recognize this. Now, I'm going to fast forward to the Catechism of the Catholic Church because th the Catechism teaches the same truth. Okay, number seven eighty six in the Catechism speaks of the royal office of Christ. He exercises his kingship by drawing all men to himself. Every person on earth is called by Christ to enter his kingdom, the Catholic Church. That's why Jesus gave the Great Commission before he ascended into heaven. Go out and preach to all nations, every single person on earth, and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bring them into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that I'm founding on you, Peter and the Apostles. That's what he was saying, okay? The Catechism number 567, I quote, the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated on earth by Christ. The church is the seed, the beginning of this kingdom. Its keys are entrusted to Peter. That was our gospel this past Sunday, okay? Number 541 of the Catechism, everyone, I'll repeat this, everyone, I'll repeat it a third time, everyone that is on earth is called to enter the kingdom. That is the church. The kingdom is intended to be accepted by men of all nations. That's what our catechism teaches. Number 763 of the catechism, the Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated his church by the preaching of the good news, the coming of the reign of God. The church is the reign of Christ already present in mystery. I think most Catholics are completely ignorant of this fact, that the church is the kingdom of Christ on earth, and that we have to extend the social reign of Christ by extending his kingship okay, and having people enter the church. They actually, I'll just say something here. This is why we enthrone the image of the sacred heart of Jesus in homes and families, because the home and the family that enthrones the, an image of the sacred heart of Jesus, and usually when you do this, you enthrone an image of the immaculate heart of Mary along with Christ because she's queen. I'm going to get to that a little later. Okay, um, The family acknowledges Christ as king, he reigns over their family in a reign of love, and he wants the family, the fundamental social unit, to go out and proclaim this good news to society and transform it into Christ and bring people into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the kingdom of Christ on earth, okay? And um, the catechism goes on to say that well, the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost. This is number 767. The church was openly displayed to all the nations through preaching to the crowds. The church by nature is missionary. Number 768, the church receives the mission of proclaiming and establishing among all peoples the kingdom of Christ and of God. She is on earth the seed, the beginning of the kingdom. Now, what does all this mean? Well, First of all, this is objective truth, objective reality. doesn't matter what you think. This is objective reality. God's plan for salvation of the world okay, is this. There is no strict separation of church and state. 
While it's true the church doesn't govern, govern in civil matters, I've already said that, nonetheless, Christ established the church to be a light and guide to all the nations. So that in formulating laws and policies, our, our leaders in government, our lawmakers, our judges, should look for guidance to the church. For example, in defining marriage between one man and one woman, and allowing separation but not divorce, allowing intrinsic evils like abortion, embryonic stem cell research, euthanasia, okay? No, the church is supposed to guide the, the, the lawmakers and judges. That's its purpose on earth, one of its purposes. In fact, and here I'm, I'm going to say something that I think Catholics who are listening, you may be surprised. Strict separation of church and state in the way that you know, Thomas Jefferson, one of our founders, thought of it, is a heresy. It has been condemned by numerous popes, okay? I'll quote, for example, Pope Leo XIII, a 1988 encyclical, Libertas, on the nature of human liberty. In this encyclical, he was criticizing the false view of liberty, okay? And he said, and I quote him here, the fatal theory of the need of separation between church and state, uh, well, this is an absurdity of uh, that this position is, is a manifest absurdity, he says, okay? Because if Christ founded the church to be a light and guide to lawmakers and judges, well, to say that the church should be you know, strictly separated from, from the state, well, this is, this is a heresy, okay? And Pope Leo XIII goes on to say, since God is the source of all goodness and justice, it is absolutely ridiculous that the state should pay no attention to these laws or render them abortive by contrary enactment. Those who are in authority owe it to the commonwealth and the common good, not only to provide for its external well-being, by conveniences of life, for example, but still more to consult the welfare of men's souls in the wisdom of their legislation. If you really cared about people, you'd care about their souls more than their bodies, and you would allow religion to be taught in the schools, okay? Of course, the fullness of, of the truth is the Catholic faith, okay? And those in government of the state says Leo XIII, take no account of these laws. Abuse political power by causing it to deviate from their proper end and from what nature itself prescribes. Okay, so um, we see that the problems with our, our present society. Now, with a few minutes left, I'm going to talk about Mary, her queenship, okay? Um, under the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Davidic kings, uh, the kings, David and those that followed him, okay, they had many wives. The most powerful person in the kingdom, next after the king, was not the king's wife because he had many. It was the king's mother. She was called the Gibera, okay, the queen mother. This is uh, true in, in many ancient lands. It was true in Israel. And um, she wore a crown. She sat on the throne next to the king. And we see this with Bathsheba. When 
Bathsheba, the wife of King David, when she goes in to see him, she bows down. But when she enters the court to ask a favor for her, from her son, okay, as the queen mother, Solomon bows down before her, okay, and her intercessory role is recognized. Well, the the gibara is is a uh, a type of of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mary is truly the queen mother, and. This is seen at the Annunciation, okay? Um, when the angel says that your son will be king over the house of Jacob forever. In other words, Mary will be the queen. She will be the queen and mother. She fulfills Nathan's prophecy by saying yes to the angel. And uh, <coughs> Mary, as I mentioned earlier, you know, her, her queenship as Pius the... 12th said, is as vast and broad as, as that of her son. She has a participation in that kingly reign of her son with a power, as Pius XII said, almost unlimited. Now, um, this is something that's recognized in our tradition, and we have uh, implicitly an acknowledgement of this in in the the uh, Old Testament as as well as the New, I was hoping to be able to get to to Pius the encyclical on the queenship of of Mary. Uh, I won't be able to do that today. I will do that the next time I'm with you. Uh, please join us, however, in j in just a few minutes. Uh, Father Michael Clay and I are going to lead a rosary for peace especially for uh, people in the city of Kenosha, but as well as uh, all areas that are, are encountering uh, social unrest and, and, and violence and a departure from the laws of God. And Father, could day. you please give us your priestly blessing? Through the intercession of, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our mother and our queen, may Almighty God bless you and keep you close to uh, Jesus our Savior, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.